In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 34, and in chapter 13, verse 3. The book of Hebrews addresses people who had obeyed the gospel but were being tempted and tried and persecuted. And sadly for some, the wrong response was taken to walk away from Christ back into their former religion of Judaism, there to find ill-conceived relief from the pressure of persecution. So this epistle was in response to that, an effort of the Holy Spirit to keep these people faithful who were beginning to wonder. And part of this response was to remind them of their former faithfulness. For instance, in Hebrews 10.34, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And likewise in chapter 13, verse 3, Remember those in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. What are your first thoughts about prisoners? You picture someone dressed in an orange jumpsuit, handcuffs, shackles. I understand that first mental image. It isn't favorable. Compassion may not be our first thought. Our thoughts may be, well, what did you do to get yourself in prison? What crime? What evil? Aren't you ashamed? But in the context we're going to consider tonight, there should not be an immediate negative impression, but the opposite. An impression that instructs us in strength and courage. I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight about God's prisoners, imprisoned, but strengthened and commended by their God. And we're going to start in the book of Genesis in chapter 39. We're going to do a lot of reading tonight. Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Israelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern 
about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything he has in my charge. He is not greater in his house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men in the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out, I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard these words, that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph, and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. That's the story in Genesis chapter 39. It may be hard for us to imagine being put in prison without any process, without any examination of evidence. And we might be inclined to say to every passing prison guard, hey, tell them out there that I'm innocent. Or perhaps there would be some temptation to just find a dark corner somewhere and curl up in that corner in pity and despair. Verse 22 says, The Lord was with Joseph, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. 
And as you continue to read the story, moving out of chapter 39 into chapter 40, Joseph is not broken down in a dark corner in despair. He is keeping others incarcerated by the king and helping others. He's using gifts God gave him to tell them what their dreams meant. And when you get to chapter 41, Joseph has risen to power in Egypt and God's kind providence has been confirmed by the events surrounding Joseph. When we come into crisis, it might be compared to the first few days in prison. Though you've committed no crime and you cannot explain your presence in that dark corner of despair. Why me? What did I do? And we search to discover some reason why we are a victim or stuck with some illness, the object of some conflict that we didn't initiate, falsely accused. And we can let all those thoughts of self-pity turn into a miserable, self-focused mental state. Distant from others, Maybe even wondering where God is. But you open the Bible and read about men like Joseph and Joshua and Daniel and David and John the Baptist and women like Hannah and Ruth and Mary and Esther and the Hebrew midwives. Written for our learning, these people teach us how to hold fast to the Lord in dark times. When we cannot explain what's happening to us. These passages and these examples help keep our minds pure and the devil at a distance when we seem to be imprisoned by bad times, crisis of unknown origin. Being faithful to God while imprisoned will always mean God is with us and there will be victory. You recall the statement of Paul, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. However imprisoned we may be, or believe we are, God is with his people. Here's another case. Turn to the book of Daniel. Two passages there we're going to read in the book of Daniel. Daniel held himself responsible to God in a time when Daniel and his countrymen were being led away into captivity, young men conscripted into service, Daniel made up his mind he would remain faithful to God. And here's an example of that in Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. 
and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. And whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, and that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. May God send his angel and shut the lions' mouths 
and they have not harmed me. Because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I was with about 38 preachers in Houston a couple of weeks ago and we spent two days in the book of Daniel. And one of many good things under discussion was how thankful we ought to be. As bad as we believe things are in our society, so far we are not forbidden to worship. And there is no requirement from high places that we worship a false man-made God. I know that we don't like what's going on, but can we still be thankful? We can come together on a cold Sunday night and read and study the Bible. Without immediate fear that some government official will come in and set an idol up and require that we bow down before it. <clears throat> we do not live in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. What does Daniel teach us? I want to highlight three things quickly. Number one, Daniel didn't go into Babylon with any thought of compromise. Chapter 1 of Daniel documents his steadfast conviction to not even begin the process of thinking of any future compromise. Faith, steadfastly held, protects us against any thoughts of compromise. Daniel had no plan to bow to pressure, to worship an idol, or to compromise in any of the moral standards he knew God gave. His life plan was to serve God no matter the circumstance of hostility or pressure. Number two, Daniel associated with friends of like faith. Our association with each other in and out of these assemblies is a valuable part of our strength and our encouragement. Call it fellowship, unity, mutual spiritual family connection. It is important to have people close to us who stand with us for God 
and against all the contrary pressures. And number three, (coughs) Daniel continued to be a praying man. You have another prayer of Daniel over in chapter 9. Knowing God was in control, Daniel stood firm, continued his practices of being observant of the statutes of God, and he knew victory was ahead. All of this is reflected in how he acted, how he spoke, and how he prayed. I need to learn to pray like Daniel with confession and petition and reverent acknowledgement of the greatness of God. I'm just going to turn to Daniel chapter 9 and read some of this prayer of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books... The number of years that according to the word of the Lord by Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Let me stop there, make a point. Sometimes we think of Bible characters and Bible prophets and writers as being isolated and unconnected not knowing what the other said. But you'll notice here an important point is made in verse 2. Daniel perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Continuing at verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Continue reading over through verse 19, this marvelous prayer of Daniel that exhibits how God's prisoners live and survive and have victory in view by faith. As a Christian, I read this the other day, As a Christian, you were either going through a fire, you just got out of a fire, or in the future, you're going to go into a fire. Know that God will not give you more than you can handle, and His purpose is not to destroy us. God's prisoners. You remember the story about John the Baptist in the New Testament? In the book of Matthew chapter 14, here is another case where a man was sent by God, assigned in his case to introduce Christ to the Jewish people as the one who fulfilled the promises of the Savior in the prophets. And Matthew tells us what happened. Matthew 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. 
For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths, And his guest, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother, and his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Previous to this passage, the last mention of John is back in Matthew 11, verse 2. And he was in prison then. And now what Matthew does in Matthew 14, he does something that might be called a flashback or a story within a story that takes us further into what had happened to John after he was in prison. What John was aware of, I think many back then were aware of, a scandal. A marriage not in keeping with God's law. We don't know if others brought this up. What we know is when John brought it up, he was taken away and eventually beheaded. What is really bizarre to us is the occasion was a birthday party. You've never been to a birthday party like this. It's unlike any party you've ever attended. Birthdays back then were sometimes celebrated among people like this, like the Herods, through carnal entertainment, like a show featuring lasciviousness and alcohol. And if a beautiful woman that was high in the esteem of the honoree asked for something, the wish was often granted, even if there was blood and death involved. John spoke the truth under a very difficult circumstance, speaking to a man of high position, he told him his marriage was wrong. We see in John strong character, forceful preaching, God's prisoners are noted for their steadfast devotion to God, and sometimes God's prisoners become martyrs, but victory follows. One more. Paul and Silas. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Background. Paul and Silas had been preaching over in the region of Phrygia and Galatia, but then they were called over into Macedonia. They came into Macedonia, found Lydia. She obeyed the gospel, and it says, her household as well obeyed the gospel. Opposition came, and we are now in Acts chapter 16 at verse 25. I told you there would be a lot of reading. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, 
so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. Verse 36, But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who were Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So, how do you use your time? How do you occupy yourself if you're in prison unjustly? Complain to the authorities, start a riot, plot and carry out an escape. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. God's prisoners. God extracted Paul and Silas from the jail, but while there, Paul and Silas converted one of the jailers and all his family, and Paul became one of the first suicide prevention counselors in the world. Paul would later describe himself as the prisoner of the Lord, but not with bitter complaint. Paul would say, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith, I am finishing my course. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And you know, in addition to all these prisoners we've studied, you can read in Hebrews 11, 36 to 40, of so many others. Now, in closing... Perhaps we do not ever expect to be a literal prisoner behind bars. But there are many different kinds of prisons. There is the prison of sin. Christ has opened the door and signed the pardon. Believing in him, giving up your sins, you can be baptized to make your way out of that prison of despair. 
There are prisons of depression and illness and frustration and boredom and laziness and conflict and anger and materialism and inaction and procrastination. God wants us to be free. How thankful we should be for His grace. But He expects us to embrace that freedom through prayer, repentance and zeal and renewal and restoration and commitment. God's people never stay in prison forever. Regarding the prisons we may find ourselves suffering in, it might seem like they last forever, but in a flash they will be gone and we will be with the one who has released his prisoners. In Psalm 146, the Lord sets prisoners free. Let's be standing while we sing. Free, tis for you and me. Oh, hey.